Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We have reached in the Byzantine liturgical calendar the fifth Sunday of Lent. We have just one more week of Lent, and then we enter into Holy Week, the Great Week. A little bit different in the Latin Rite Church. The Latin Rite Church counts Lent into Holy Week. The Byzantine Church, however, ends the actual Lenten period before Holy Week. In fact, it ends this coming Saturday, which we call Lazarus Saturday. It's the reading of the magnificent gospel, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This, of course, is an anticipation, a type of warm-up to his own resurrection from the dead. And then what follows from that, of course, is Palm Sunday. And then we enter into what's called Great Week or Holy Week, also known as the Week of the Bridegroom. That's my preferred title for it. We oftentimes have multiple titles for the same thing in the Eastern churches. We're always living in that both and, multi-tiered, integratedly. So each phrase will work, just as we call Lent, Lent, or the Great Lent, or the Great Fast, or the Springtime of Repentance. Regardless, it all means the same thing. So Great Week, or Holy Week, in the Latin rite is sometimes known as Passion Week, is also called Week of Christ the Bridegroom, because really what's happening is this one fundamental great mystery, St. John Paul II would call it, this fundamental spousal mystery, where God, like a bridegroom, creates a bride for himself and then enters into intimate union, a spousal relationship with that bride, giving himself pouring himself out in love for his bride, just as a husband would do for his beloved wife. He comes to mystically consummate a marriage between himself and his bride, us, come to perfection in the church. Actually, by extension, his whole creation. Because, let's face it, at the Incarnation, which we just celebrated recently, the Feast of the Annunciation, and also with Christ's birth, we have this intimate union of God with his own creation, all of it, it comes to perfection in the human person and from there even to the greatest perfection in the church. But it is 
by analogy, a spousal relationship. And so we call this Christ the Bridegroom Week or Week of the Bridegroom. It also involves Christ spending himself, totally giving of himself, making of himself an oblation, just like a husband is supposed to do for his wife and his family. That's how it's designed by God. And that is what Christ does. And it comes to its fullness in the cross and in the resurrection. This is why on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, on Pascha, in many Eastern churches, we will sing Christ emerges from the tomb like a bridegroom from a bridal chamber and fills the women with joy. But we won't talk too much about that yet. Got to hold off. But that's what we will be singing during Pascha, during the resurrection, which shows you how it all culminates in this mystical spousal mystery. In the meantime, though, we have this one more week of Lent in the Byzantine calendar. And on this Sunday, we look at a female ascetic, a female monk. Last Sunday, it was a male monk, a male ascetic, St. John Climacus. Now we have a female. Isn't it interesting? So we treat man and woman equally. That's something that a lot of people would like today. (laughs) Man and woman are not the same, but even liturgically for centuries, they're treated equally in this time of Lent or these Lenten Sundays. So we featured a man last week, now a woman this week. But in featuring this woman, we have a lot of insights into how the Eastern churches look at womanhood, especially in terms of its prayer, its theology, its liturgy. Many times I'm asked that, well, what role do women have in the church? Sometimes we are defining that from a standpoint that's maybe a bit utilitarian rather than mystical or sacramental. We often ask that question in terms of what are women doing? What's their role? Where can they appear in the liturgy? Mostly we see men up there at the altar. So what about women? So the question is raised, well, what can women do? What do women do? What is their place in the Eastern churches? Well, their place can actually be reflected in a lot of ways in the story of this woman, St. Mary of Egypt. Now, she was a young woman who was a prostitute, actually, at a young age. And her story is told by a saint named Sophronius. And he tells her story, we read this story during the week of Lent in which we celebrate the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. In fact, it's told in two parts within that prayer service of the canon, because the canon is very, very lengthy. And so we break it up with the story told in two parts of St. Mary of Egypt. Then we have her actual Sunday, which is this Sunday, in which we commemorate her. But what it shows is that womanhood longs for relational fulfillment, for for love. We all do, but women in particular, in a particular way. Why? Because if you look at the book of Genesis, we see that womanhood was created by God in relationship. Adam came into being from the dust of the earth. Womanhood came into being out of man. So that already tells you that she is designed from her very creation for connectedness, for relationship. And when she is frustrated in this area or wounded in this area, she will seek it in ways which are not constructive, which are actually destructive. And this is what happened to Mary of Egypt as a prostitute. In fact, the story tells of how she really was very clever with men, really used them terribly. By her own admission in the story, had men do all kinds of things, and she could manipulate them so easily. But then what happened was there were pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, and she followed them. And it was during this Holy Week. And they entered the great church of the Holy Sepulchre, also called the Church of the Resurrection in the East, And she wanted to enter, 
But when she tried to enter the door, Mary, eventually St. Mary of Egypt, she was repelled by an invisible force. And she tried again and again, and she couldn't get in. So she felt bad. She felt frustrated. And then she saw an icon of the Virgin Mary, and something changed in her heart. She realized she couldn't get in because she had sought this intimacy in the wrong places, in wrong type of relationships, or relationships that use people instead of really love them. So she went out and she wept bitterly and she went off. And after she wept, when she came back, she was able to enter that church. And she realized that she was now called to a life of repentance, of real love, real relationship, only it would be with God. So she went off to the place where people would go to really find God, especially in the early centuries of the church. And that was in the desert. She was in the desert for many years. And that's where another part of our story comes in. There was a priest named Zosimus who wanted to grow in perfection. So he was told to go and visit a monastery. And I'll just read a little bit from the story. This is part of the story that we actually read during the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, which we say during the fifth week of Lent. And when Zosimus goes out to the monastery, he's instructed then to go and search for a particular monastery. And this is how the story goes. There was a rule in that monastery, which was the reason why God brought Zosimus there. At the beginning of the great fast on Forgiveness Sunday, the priests celebrated the Holy Liturgy and all partook of the Holy Body and Blood of Christ. After the liturgy, they went to the refectory and would eat a little Lenten food. Then all gathered in church, and after praying earnestly with prostrations, the elders kissed one another and asked forgiveness. And each made a prostration to the abbot and asked his blessing and prayers for the struggle that lay before them. After this, the gates of the monastery were thrown open, and singing, The Lord is my light and my Savior, whom shall I fear? All went out into the desert and crossed the river Jordan. Now, after crossing the Jordan, they all scattered far and wide in different directions. And this was the rule of life they had, in which they all observed. Neither to talk to one another, nor to know each other, nor to know how each one lived and fasted. If they did happen to catch sight of one another, they went to another part of the country, living alone, always singing to God, and at a definite time, eating a very small quantity of food. In this way, they spent the whole of the fast and used to return to the monastery a week before the resurrection of Christ on Palm Sunday. So, Zosimus is observing this custom. But while he's out there, he comes across somebody. Actually, he sees something, looks like a person, running through the desert. And as he gets closer, he finds that it's a figure of a human being, ends up seeing that it's a naked woman who actually then tries to hide herself. And then he comes upon her and she says, forgive me for God's sake, but I cannot turn towards you and bestow and show you my face, Abba Zosimus, for I am a woman and naked, as you see with the uncovered shame of my body. But if you would like to fulfill one wish of a sinful woman, throw me your cloak so that I can cover my body and can turn to you and ask for your blessings. And what happened was, there is this incredible relationship that begins to develop between Father Zosimus and this woman, Mary, who, remember, was a former prostitute who went off into the desert to do repentance for the rest of her life and to find intimacy with Christ. And whenever people do that, they would reach a very deep level of holiness. In fact, Mary of Egypt actually did reach that level, although she always saw herself as a repentant sinner. And she actually could walk across water. Yeah, that's how the story goes. And the story is read every year at Byzantine churches during this canon of St. Andrew of Crete. 
and we commemorate St. Mary on this fifth Sunday of Lent each year. But as he's developing this relationship, and this, the dialogue between them is very, very sophisticated. It's very moving. It could be, I, whenever I listen to it, I always imagine it being a, a movie or a play. It really is high drama in terms of dialogue, in terms of a relationship, in terms of self-revelation. And Mary of Egypt is sharing herself in relationship as womanhood is made to do with Zosimus. And we're gonna talk about that relationship when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyola. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loyola. Visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click subscribe. You're you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's TaborLife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On TaborLife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On TaborLife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Taper Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Taper Life is powered by you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're looking at a special woman, an ascetical woman, once a prostitute, a great sinner, never lost sight of her repentance, but came to focus entirely on the love of God. And she grew in holiness, was discovered in a desert by a Father Zosimus, who told her story. And that whole story was then written and told by a Saint Sophronius. Story read each year in Byzantine churches during the canon of St. Andrew of Crete during the fifth week of Lent. And on Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Lent, we have then the great celebration, the great liturgical observance of St. Mary of Egypt. As I mentioned, they developed an incredible relationship with very, very sophisticated dialogue, a great, great self-revelation, a great sharing, and each one deferred to one another. This is another aspect we can learn from Mary of Egypt, that one of the great gifts of womanhood is the deference, a deferential kind of love and respect that they, that they can show towards men. 
and men really respond to this. Men respond, in fact, they, they translate love in terms of respect. And we see in Ephesians chapter 5, where it actually instructs the man to love his wife as Christ loved the church, which is an awesome, basically impossible task to do unless he has the help of his wife so that he can love her as Christ loved the church. So that same passage in Ephesians 5 encourages the wife then to respond by respecting her husband, that this will motivate him to love her. See, it's very reciprocal. So Mary of Egypt respects the manhood and priesthood of Father Zosimus, but Zosimus, but Zosimus at the same time bows down to her because he senses her holiness. See, womanhood, when it exudes its holiness, can melt a man, will actually inspire a man's good and deferential behavior towards a woman. So the first answer to the question, what is women's role in the church, is first and foremost to be fully feminine, fully holy as a woman, because in that is great power, a great gift to the church and to humanity. We don't define our worth in terms of power or in a utilitarian way about who's doing what, who has what role, who has what authority, and are we all doing the same thing, therefore equal. We define things in terms of God's order of creation, how he set it up. And the power of authentic femininity is the most powerful force on earth, actually. It can move men to do great, heroic, honorable things for humanity, especially for womanhood. So, Samir of Egypt models this holiness, this deference towards men and also towards priesthood. Now, this is not putting herself down. This is actually being the best version of herself, and it moves this man. It totally disarms him as a man and as a priest, to the point where he, he keeps telling her, don't bow to me, I should bow to you. He sees her as greater than he is, yet she is seeing him that way. Especially when, in this, as the story goes of St. Mary of Egypt, especially when Father Zosimus comes to her with a request. When Father Zosimus comes to her granting a request he made of her previously. When Father Zosimus comes to her granting a request that Mary of Egypt made to him previously, she told him to return the following year and bring to her the body and blood of Christ that she has not received. Imagine, she had not received Eucharist in 40 years. She had been out in that desert for all those years. And the one thing that she wanted, that she longed for, was the body and blood of Christ. This ultimately is what woman's deepest yearning is for. Yes, relationship and intimacy, but above all, for that intimacy with God. And when she yearns for that and achieves that and seeks that, especially in the Eucharist, in the church, this is where she really shines. This is where she really has fulfillment. St. John Paul II will tell us in his Theology of the Body that womanhood has a certain genius to it. And that genius is the gift of receptivity, stamped in the very language and theology of her body. And that receptivity is towards other people, towards love, towards relationship, but above all, quite naturally, towards Christ, towards God. Have you ever noticed why there are more, usually there's more women responsive to or in church than men is because they have a natural gift to be openly responsive, intuitively, spontaneously responsive to Christ, to relationship, and to relationship with God. 
in a sense, you could say women are maybe more naturally spiritual, or at least more receptive in that way. So the Holy Spirit can enter into them easier. This is affirmed, actually, in a backhanded way. When the devil, the person of the serpent, comes to Eve in the desert, remember that? He comes to her, not to Adam, although Adam was there, somehow falling down on the job. But he was there because the scripture says that Adam was with her. But the serpent comes to her. Why? Because the serpent knew, as hopefully you know now, that it is the woman who has that gift of receptivity. He would be open to her, although this time he fooled her. So she is open, above all, to intimacy with Christ. And then she tells Zosimus, come back here again next year to the same place. And so he does. But then he doesn't see her. And here is what the story says. And when another year had passed, Zosimus again went into the desert. He reached the same spot, but could see no sign of anyone. So raising his eyes to heaven as before, he prayed, Show me, O Lord, your true treasure, which you have concealed in the desert. Show me, I pray, the angel in the flesh of which the world is not worthy. Of course, he was referring to St. Mary of Egypt at that moment. Then on the opposite bank of the river, her face turned towards the rising sun. He saw the saint lying dead. Her hands were crossed according to custom, and her face was turned to the east. Running up, he shed tears over the saint's feet and kissed them, not daring to touch anything else. For a long time he wept. Then reciting the appointed psalms, he said the burial prayers and thought to himself, Must I bury the body of a saint? Or will this be contrary to her wishes? Then he saw words traced on the ground by her head. Abba Zosimus, bury on this spot the body of humble Mary. Return to dust that which is dust, and pray to the Lord for me, who departed in Egypt in the month of Firmatin of Egypt, called April by the Romans, on the first day, on the very night of our Lord's Passion, after having partaken of the divine mysteries. St. Mary of Egypt died in the year 522 AD. So you see what happened? Her greatest desire surrender herself now to God like Simeon did when he held Christ in his arms in the temple. Remember that in Luke's gospel? He said, he said now you may dismiss your servant, Lord, because my eyes have seen. What Mary of Egypt wanted, as if she lived all these years in the desert and would not die until it happened, was to partake of the body and blood of Christ. And she leaves that note written in the sand. On the first day, on the very night of our Lord's Passion, after having partaken of divine mysteries, she says in her note, that is when she died. So Abba Zosimus wants to bury her, and then he gets a stick, and he's trying to bury her, and it's difficult, and he sees a lion, and he trembles with fear, and but then he sees the lion approaching harmlessly. He sees the lion approaching harmlessly, and so Zosimus speaks to the lion. He says, The great one ordered that her body was to be buried, but I am old and have not the strength to dig the grave, for I have no spade, and it would take too long to go and get one. So can you carry out the work with your claws? Then we can commit to the earth the mortal temple of the saint. While he was still speaking, the lion with his front paws began to dig a deep hole, enough to bury the body. Again, the elder washed the feet of the saint with his tears, and calling on her to pray for all, covered the body with earth in the presence of the lion. It was as it had been, naked and uncovered by anything but the tattered cloak which had been given to her by Zosimus, and with which Mary, turning away, had managed to cover part of her body. Then both departed. The lion went off into the depth of the desert like a lamb 
while Zosios returned to the monastery glorifying and blessing Christ our Lord. The story certainly might have certain aspects of fiction to it, as many stories do over time. However, the essence of it is true. And the most important thing, though, is the lessons to be learned, especially a model of womanhood and what holy womanhood, seeking genuine relationship, genuine intimacy with people in deferential love, in deference and respect, and in intimacy towards the Lord, especially as acquired to the Eucharist, as Mary of Egypt is an example of all this, herein lies the real value of her story and of womanhood and the answer to the question, what is the role and place of women in the church? Quite simply, it is to live that gift of receptivity and to become the best versions of their feminine selves. In other words, to become holy women like St. Mary of Egypt. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Look to EWTN for inspiring Lenten programming. This is Father Thomas Petrie, Godly Counsel on Morning Glory. Lent is a time of spiritual renewal when the Church journeys with Christ, who is both God and man, and in his humanity can suffer, can be hungry, can sacrifice just as much as we can, in fact, even more. So during this Lenten season, we give things up in our penance to journey with him. We pray more to come closer to him, and we give alms so that, like Christ, we can offer something up for the poor, Christ who offered himself up for us. During this Lenten season, all of us at EWTN Radio are praying that you have a holy and blessed season to grow closer to Christ as we prepare for the Paschal celebration. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. (laughs) 